This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Guests, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being with us. I see some faces I've never seen before. Thank you for being here. That means a lot that you would take a beautiful day and come inside and hang out with us. Those of you who are watching online, hello. Thank you for being with us. We are winding down a series on physical healing. God cares about the whole soul. He puts the pieces back together again. That's why Jesus came. We see that lived out in Jesus' life. And we, walking in faith, enter that story again. Embracing the great mystery of God that he's going to do what is best. But we always expect goodness from him. And then last week we began, all right, practically, how is that lived out in a church? A church really isn't to be a restaurant or a theater or a coffee shop. It's to be a a mobile surgical hospital on the move, putting the pieces of people back together again. Maybe it'd be outside pieces, inside pieces, emotional pieces, mental pieces. Sin corrupts and breaks everything, am I right? Everything falls apart. The kingdom of God is about putting pieces back together again. The hope that Jesus started will be fulfilled and we get to participate in that. And so last week we just learned one simple verse. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That he wants to, and he does, work through the body of Christ that is the church to put our bodies back together. Our spirits, our minds, our hearts. We're not in isolation. We're a part of. And I said, this week, practically, let's talk about what that really looks like. How do you pray for that? How do you participate? If someone comes up to you and says, hey, I'm sick in the spirit person, why don't you pray that that God heals him? How do I do that? Do I have to get Bible degrees? Is there magic water? Is there holy movements that I'm supposed to make? Do I have to talk funny? What do I need to do? How do you do that? Let's practically talk about what it looks like. To help, I'm going to tell a story. Last night, Aiden and I worked on, Aiden doesn't know that I'm telling this story. But it was a beautiful experience last night, wasn't it, Aiden? He had a home ec assignment. It's not called home ec anymore. What's it called? Consumer, consumer science, because we're teaching Americans how to be better consumers. Like, we needed help with that. Um, well, he had to prepare a recipe, a menu, shopping lists, and then make a wonderful meal for his family. And so Aiden selected that he was going to do omelets, uh, Western omelets, Denver omelets, and this wonderful peach coffee cake. Betty Crocker recipe. Legit. The real deal. Real deal. Aiden had brought the list to us a couple because, you know, ingredients had to be purchased. We're like, this is awesome. This is great. Making coffee cake, omelets. I can do omelets in my sleep. We'll make this happen. It'll be beautiful. Recipe. Ching, 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 ching. Baking. If you had to pick two of the five hickernels, two of the five that we probably would not choose for baking, number one on the list would be dad. Dad, don't bake. 
you got to be precise. There's like a science. You can't just swap out ingredients. A quarter cup of this does not equal a half a cup of that. I mean, it's just, you got to follow the list. And you got to do this stuff. And Aiden, you know, he said, this is the greatest thing Aiden's ever made. And it turned out really well, didn't it? Aiden. But there was a moment where we thought what was in the pan was going to transform into a monster from Ghostbusters. And like this gelatinous glob was going to swallow. It was, it got weird for a while. Like Betty Crocker was smoking something. <laughs> well, we put it in the oven. Who knows? But it was really good. It was really, really good. And he made omelets. This finesse with the pan it was great. Following a recipe, this, 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 this. We like that. We like recipe. If I do this, I do this, I do this, I get that. If I do this, I do this, I do this, I get the picture. Right? Surely healing that works that way, right? Surely God works that way. It's the same way every time. As we move into this practical perspective on healing, I thought we could do a case study. A case study is where we look at a, a real life experience to help give us some perspective, some application, to help us understand. So I need three guys, please. We're going to look at three men who are all blind, that Jesus all healed. We're going to line up. I need three guys. And I'm not going on until I got three guys up here. So wives, start elbowing. I got one. I got two. All right, three. Awesome, awesome. Come on up, guys. You don't have to be blind. You just have to be up here. All right, one. Rob, you always come up. Don't you? you get stuck doing all this stuff all the time. This is awesome. Oh, because she elbowed you. Are you okay? Do you need us to anoint your side where she elbowed you? Mm, mm. Wives know how to do that. I picked three stories within the Gospels where Jesus healed a man who was blind. So let's kind of look at them. Do they all line up? Are they all consistent? And we're going to use the first one as like our main case study and kind of compare from there. So we're going to start. This is in Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read the story to you. Mark 8, 22 through 26. Mark 8, 22 through 26 says this. And they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village, and when he'd spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on him again. He opened his eyes and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to home saying, do not even enter the village. Okay. So what did Jesus do and how did Jesus do it? Okay, case number one. Don't hold that, just like that. Case number one, someone came and begged. Someone asked, first thing. Gotta come, gotta ask, okay? Number two, Jesus isolated the patient. Got him outside the village, got him out away from everything else. Then Jesus spits on his eyes. Didn't see that one coming, did he? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> You just got it. You just got it. <laughs> it's okay. Jesus lays his hands on him, and then Jesus lays hands on him a second time. 
Okay? This is what happens. We're going to heal a blind guy. We gotta, we have, someone has to beg. We're going to isolate the patient, spit on his eyes, lay hands, and then lay hands on him again. Okay? That's how we do it. The question is, surely, surely, every single time, every single time we have a blind guy, that's what we need to do. Case number two, case number three. Someone begs, we isolate, spit in his face, lay hands on him, and lay hands on him a second time. Okay? We live in this uh, mass production Big Mac society. We expect God to do this, 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 this. Here's the recipe. Jesus, Betty Crocker, like that. Two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a 70s, every time. This is what God's gonna do, right? Surely we can expect the same thing, okay? John, you guys know, but still. John 9, one through seven. John 9, one through seven. And Jesus passed by. He saw a blind man, from birth, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent him while it's day. Night's coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground made mud with saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Hold on a second. First thing is that someone's supposed to beg. Does anyone come up and ask? No. Jesus isolated the patient, took him out of the city. Jesus, he right there in the middle of the city. This guy's outside the temple. It's packed. There's hundreds of thousands of people around. Jesus didn't isolate anyone. Did he spit in the guy's eyes? What did he do? Spit on the mud. Did he lay hands on him? Laid hands on his eyes with the mud, right? I guess we could kind of maybe, but not, not exactly. Did he lay hands on him a second time? What did he do? He had to walk and wash, okay? Where, where the guy probably is is outside the temple and the, the, the fountain that Jesus sends him to is about a quarter mile away through heavy traffic. Not helpful. We already got some issues. Let's look at a third story. You ready? You're good. I heard that minor chord you played earlier. Showing off. Mark 10, 46. Mark 10, 46. Third story. Is there a similarity? Trying to find similarities. Someone has to beg, isolate them, spit in their face, lay hands on them, lay hands on them again. You ready? And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. When he'd heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is good. We're begging. This is good. Okay, we're following the steps. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. He cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. What happens next? Jesus said to him, go your way. 
Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Did someone beg? All right, we got that one right. Did Jesus isolate the guy and the spit on his face? Spit on the mud and put the mud on his face. Did Jesus lay hands on him? Did Jesus lay hands on him again? What did Jesus do? He said, okay. If I was this guy, I might be a little annoyed. Because he got spit in the face. This guy, Jesus spits in the mud, takes the mud, puts the mud on the guy's face. But this guy, he's like, okay. Okay. Is there a recipe here? Is there a recipe of restoration here? If I do this and this and this and this, then surely God will act, right? No. Because God's not a vending machine. And when we ever enter God's story, we need to expect and embrace the mystery that is God. So I, I say that just to kind of help prepare our hearts and our minds. But I ask God to heal. I asked, you guys were awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. I asked God to do this. I came up and I used these words and I went to this place and I said this thing and I believed, I really believed in my heart and God didn't do it. God didn't do it. No. In each of those stories, if we had weeks and months, and I'd unpack it with you, each of those narratives have other things that are going on beyond just that immediate story. In the same way, in each of your lives, there's a greater circle of people connected and narratives that are at play. And so, yeah, we can ask and pray for healing and seek God's restoration. And God is. We can always expect goodness from God. But that doesn't mean we always know exactly what that is or what that's going to be. Okay? But with that in mind, I do want to give us just some guiding principles for praying in faith as we come alongside people who are sick, who are hurting, emotionally broken, physically broken. What are some things that can guide us? To do that, James chapter 5, 14 through 15 is where we're going to anchor ourselves today. James chapter 5, 14 through 15. Let me read it for you. Is anyone among you sick? Maybe you're here today and you're sick. Okay. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. All right, first, let's note this, and we've said this before. The person who is sick asks for prayer. You can put that down somewhere on the side if you want. In the very beginning of our series, what Father does not want to give good gifts, love to give gifts, hope to give good gifts, like our Heavenly Father, to those who, what? Ask. Ask. I think asking is an important part of the process of our own healing and our own restoration. By asking, we are engaging our faith. When I ask, I am intentionally, volitionally entering back into the story of what God is doing. 
I'm entering the story. I'm embracing the mystery of God. That's what faith is. And I'm expecting his goodness. But I have to ask. I know I make Christ followers mad all the time because I don't, I can't read their brains. I can't read their minds. Well, he should just know that I want him to pray for me. Sorry. Ask my wife. I'm about as, I can't see. Sorry. Can't do it. And so, yeah, we ask. We ask God, will you please? We ask the church. It confronts our own pride, doesn't it? Humbles us. I'm speaking more to the guys probably than to the ladies. Guys, we seem to, you know, an Olympic event in how proud can we be in not asking for help. But by asking, I am humbling myself. Whether it's a physical need, an emotional need, a mental need, something in my past, whatever it is, I'm confronting my pride. I'm reminding myself that I'm a broken, wounded person, that the world has had its way with me, that sin has had its way with me, that death has taken me all apart. By asking, I confront my pride, but I also interact with the Spirit, I interact with the body of Christ. I'm giving somebody else the opportunity to be a vessel through which God might heal and restore. But I can go to anybody, a part of the body of Christ. Help me. Pray for me. I ask. Now, why elders? Now, that's a big word right now. Tonight, we're going to hear from our three elder candidates, and they're going to answer some questions. And... um, See the Holy Spirit confirm through the body of Christ their leadership and their guidance. So why elders here? That elders in a formal capacity, in an informal capacity, but there is an element of maturity there. And I think that's important when we talk about healing. And I think that's at play. Because God is doing a lot all at one time and there's something that elders can bring to the table. Those who are mature in the faith can bring to the table. No different than in Galatians chapter six, verse one, where Paul says, you know, let those who are spiritually mature restore one another with gentleness. There's a kindness that's involved. There's a gentleness that should be practiced. Is this just limited to elders? Is this limited to those who are in official capacity within a church? I don't think so. I mean, we see works of healing mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 last week. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's just me. I could, come to, I could come up to Jenny. Jenny, will you pray for me, please? And then Jenny could pray for me. And the Spirit might work through her to put the pieces back together again. I could come to Colin, will you pray for me? And Colin, thumbs up, dude. It's good to see you again. Welcome back. Okay, college. It's good to see you, dude. pretty much. Not a doubt, not a doubt. I could go, but there is an element of maturity that you're gonna see should be recognized as we do this together. So what helps? What helps? You come up to me. I'm over here, I'm sitting on my stool as I have been doing. Pastor Paul, will you pray for me? What do I do? Number one, I'm gonna listen in love. Write that down. I'm gonna listen in love. If you're watching online, write that down. Type that in. Not just listening, but it's, it's, it's dominated by a posture of love that wants the best for a person. I have two ears. I'm listening to two different things. With one ear, I'm listening to the person. What's their need? What are they asking for? 
I'm focusing. I'm making eye contact. I'm not being distracted. I'm not going some other place. That's not loving. I'm not texting. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. Uh (sighs) Uh-huh. Yeah. I got the extra chest. I got the gold treasure. Awesome. Good job. Uh Uh-huh. No. I am actively engaged with this person, listening to their story. But I have another ear, and with that ear, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm listening to the person and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can provide context, can kind of nudge me in a certain direction, lead me to ask a certain thing, understand an insight that maybe is not present, get below the surface. So often we want God to deal with the pain. God wants to bring about healing. And sometimes those don't completely line up. So yeah, I'm listening with one ear, I'm listening to, but I'm also listening to the Holy Spirit. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's imagine I'm sitting over here and uh, a man comes up, he sits down, he says, Pastor, will you pray for my healing? Absolutely, absolutely, I love you. Tell me, what's wrong? Tell me, how can, I, how can I be praying for you? Oh my goodness, my body is killing me. My bones ache, my joints hurt. I'm tired all the time. It's like a depression. The weight of the world just feels on me constantly. I can't sleep. Every aspect is achy. Will you pray that God heal me? What's wrong with him? You listen to, the, listen to him describe it. What's wrong with him? What's he got? Like the flu maybe, right? Body achiness, right? Can't sleep. If I just pray for those things, I'll completely miss what's going on. How so? When David was in the throes of his sin with Bathsheba in his heart of unrepentance, listen to how he describes it and how it affected his body. This is what he said in Psalm 32, three through four. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Isn't that interesting? A spiritual situation manifested itself in how his body felt. That's not too much of a stretch though, isn't it? How many of you know what it means to have a broken heart? Yeah? Where do you feel it? In your heart. That's why we say, my heart is aching. Now we're talking about that that, 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 that muscle thing that goes, but to some reason, but it sure manifests itself there, doesn't it? I'm going through something emotionally and it's showing itself physically. And you can go through something spiritually and it can show itself physically. You can go through something spiritually and it manifests itself emotionally. So yeah, the surface level, my bones ache. And the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, because he... So yeah, I'm listening with one ear and I'm listening with the other ear. But it's a posture of love. We need physical healing and we need inner healing. Sometimes we need spiritual healing. Jesus would talk about this. Remember when he, the guy came through the roof that was dropped down on the bed and what's the first thing that Jesus said to him? Your sins are forgiven because spiritual restoration trumps physical restoration. But sometimes there's something even greater than that. Sometimes there's spiritual forces that are at play. And so a listening ear 
a mature listening ear slows down and becomes a bridge so that God and person can talk together. But one can affect the other. One can affect the other. The Holy Spirit might prompt you to pray. The Holy Spirit might prompt you to ask a question. The Holy Spirit might say, now is not the time. The writer of Ecclesiastes says what? There's a time to be born and there is a time to die. We don't like that, do we? We don't like that answer. There's been times in the hospital room next to someone's bed. It's not a time to ask for physical healing. It's a time to embrace complete healing. And that can lead to a great moment of peace. So yeah, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen with a posture of love. And then secondly, I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to pray. I've listened, so now I pray. Write that down. Pray, but pray from a place of love, of genuine concern, of hope started and hope fulfilled, of the story that's moving forward and the work that God is doing. And so here's some various components when I pray for, when we pray for, from love, for healing. One component is we, we lay hands on the person. Physical contact communicates love and connection. Physical contact communicates love and connection. Think of the simplicity of the healing nature of a hug. I'm here. I'm with you. Together. You guys know I'm not a huggy person. I'm not a huggy person. Hug my boys. Hug my wife. I'll give you a hug. I'll give you a hug. But you can read case studies and reports and journal, medical journals complete that talk about the restorative power, the importance of getting seven hugs a day and how that affects your physical health. The physical health, I'm here. I'm with you. I'm near you. Jesus unknowingly healed a woman because she reached out and touched him. And he says, the power of God went through me and put her back together again. I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works. It's just, that's, that's what, yeah, lay hands on. Now, what you'll hear me do is, may I put my hand on your shoulder? Okay, I will ask that permission, especially if it's a woman. Okay, just because of the time that we live in. Okay, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's true. And so, may I put my hand on your shoulder? But that connection that we share as we become a bridge for the Holy Spirit to work through us. We are suffering together. We are in this together. I'm with you. You're not alone. Okay. Another component, he says, James says, anoint with oil. How many of you come from a tradition that practiced anointing with oil? Some of you? Yeah. You're not? Okay. Some of you, not so much. You're like, oil? It's getting kind of weird. Like, Kroger olive oil? Like, yeah. You can, but I just think it's weird. Like, I use this to saute onions, and now I'm going to use this to anoint people in prayer. Uh, but truth be told, it's just olive oil. That's all that it is. And you're asked, well, you've, never, I've, you've prayed for me before, Pastor Paul. You never anointed me with oil. It's because I haven't taught on it yet. <laughs> I didn't want you to freak out. 
dude, he asked for prayer and then he painted me with oil. It's kind of weird. Um, this is it's just all oil. This is actually freaky. No, it's not freaky. Um, it's olive oil that has been infused with other, it smells like roses, actually. Why? Because I wanted it to smell like roses. Because the elders are to pray over you. And the oil is a sacrament. It is the visible picture of an invisible truth. Okay? The, the baptismal font. The, when we baptize people, it is a visible picture of an invisible truth. Immersed in the life of Christ. Immersed in the body. Baptism, sacrament. The Lord's table, sacrament. It is a visible, tangible, touchable, tasteable picture of the sustaining grace of Jesus in our life. Okay? I can touch it. I can feel it. I can taste it. I am there. I meet with Jesus in the moment. Sacrament. Oil. Sacrament. It is a visible picture that this person is now under God's care. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. I'll set that right there. It doesn't glow. It's no magical. It's just it's olive oil. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. This is Exodus 30. Let me read something for you. Exodus 30, 22 through 25. The Lord said to Moses, take finest spices, liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, sweet smelling cinnamon, half as much. That's 250. 250 of aromatic cane, 500 cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended by the perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil. And then what they were to do, what the priests were to do, was to go through and anoint every artifact, article, aspect, drapery of the temple. Everything was to be touched with the oil. Why? What is the tabernacle? Think back to the story. What's the tabernacle? The tabernacle is the overlap of space where heaven space and earth space come together again. As you walk into the holies and you're to walk into the holy of holies, you would have been led into a space that's designed and created and fostered to be the space where heaven and earth line up again. Where God is. His throne. The oil said that this space is set apart as God's space. Now, we don't have a tabernacle that's built out of cloth and, and we don't have a temple. We are that. And so we participate and practice that again, recognizing God, we are bringing this person back into your space and we are praying over them. Asking that God, you would act and that you would touch. When Jesus sent uh, his apostles out and his disciples, he'd send them out two by two. This is what it says in Mark 6, verse 13. They cast out many demons, anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. The oil is a way of saying, God, this person is now placed into your presence and your power. We're praying over them. And so if you were to come up after the service and you were to ask for prayer for healing, I would take a little cloth and anoint it with the oil, and I'd pray, and just symbolically, it's an act, it's a sacrament, pray over you, and anoint your head with oil. There's no magical words. There's no shaking or dancing. It's olive oil that's infused with rose petals. 
I lay hands on, and I anoint with oil. What about the actual words? What do we say? Well, when Jesus was asked about prayer, what did the prayer, how did the prayer start? How did Jesus' prayer start? It's in your notes. What are the first two words? Our Father. We're going to start with God. We don't start with the problem. We don't start with the disease. We don't start with the disease. We start with God. We anchor ourselves, just like when we worship, we anchor ourselves in who God is. He is the source of all life. Our Father. We embrace again the story, that it's his story, that it's a walking in relationship with his mystery. It's his hope and his goodness that we're looking for. And then I'm going to be specific. Because I listened. I listened with love. Okay? I'm going to visualize, well, what is the situation? Well, what's any? Rob comes up to me and he asks to press my shoulders out. I don't know if it was when I was on the job or I was working or I fell. or Lisa hit me in the middle of the night. I don't know what happened, but my shoulder, it hurts really bad. Okay, I think it's somewhere around this area. Why be specific? Anybody? Why be specific? Why do you think it's important to be specific? What's that, Sarah? You're asking, what's that? Yeah? A certain area, yeah? We're really getting the faith engaged and we really wanna, that way we know when God's answered. God heal this person. What? God heal Rob's shoulder. God puts his shoulder back together again. We know, okay, we're gonna be specific. Engage the imagination. I'm gonna imagine the Holy Spirit actually grabbing a hold of and putting that shoulder back together again. I'm going to be positive. Why positive? Because we're in a journey of hope. It's uh, the hope that Jesus started moving towards hope fulfilled. I'm not sad. I'm not weary. I'm not, you know, oh, woe is me and sad is me. Oh, pastor. No, I'm engaging in a joy-filled experience. This is faith engaging God, and I can always expect goodness. So I'm going to be positive. I'm going to be positive in what I say. I'm going to be confident not going to use the if word. The if word. You know what the if word is, right? It's if. That's the word. If it's your will, would you heal Rob's shoulder? Can we just think about that prayer for a second? Is it God's will to put Rob back together again? Yeah. Yeah. The whole story is about putting Rob back together again. Not just you. I know the whole story doesn't focus around Rob. But all of us, the whole, it's about putting humanity and restoring humanity in the life-giving movement that Jesus began. Yes, it is God's will. Do I know to the extent and the order that things are going to happen in? No, I don't. I know that I can expect goodness. So we don't say, if it's your will. Someone got called out by Jesus once for saying that. Do you remember that? Father brought his kid there. Yeah, disciples, they, they prayed and they couldn't do anything. But if you can do this, if, if, with God, all things are possible for those who believe. I believe, most honest words in scripture, help me or I, with my unbelief. So this is what we'll say. I'll pray for Rob's shoulder. God, let this be according to your will. Let this be according to your will. What we're seeking, what we're doing, how we're praying, let this be according to your will. And then I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to be thankful because I know God's going to do something good. 
I don't know everything that's connected to the story, but I know that I can expect goodness. Whatever shape and size and means it might come, I can be thankful. That's how I pray. Start with God. Be specific. Be positive. Confident. Go for it. Ask. He loves to give good gifts to those who ask. I'm going to be thankful for what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. James finishes up his thoughts in, in, in verse 15. And he says, In the prayer of faith, 515, will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. All right, we need to kind of just drill down a little bit on a couple words. What's that mean, save? Save, like save his soul, like he confessed his sins and asked Jesus into his heart so he can go to the happy place. Is that what that means? No, that's not what it means at all. This word, when in this context, means to restore someone physically. It means physical healing. The prayer of faith will heal the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. That means physical, that's physical healing overtones. This is all physical stuff. Okay, so don't say, well, he's talking about spiritual. He's not talking about spiritual things. He's talking about physical things. Is any among you sick? Let him ask the elders. The prayer of faith heals. But look, because this happens in the context of relationship and conversation, if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. Because that, that happens. We confess our sins one to another. That's where he goes on. He says this in verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another, and you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. I don't have to yell at the disease. I don't have to use magical words. I'm entering into a loving relationship, becoming the bridge so that the creator and the created can meet. That's all. I pray lovingly, not loudly. And Jesus may want to use you and will use you. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. May love grow within our church fellowship. Not self-centeredness. Not pride. That undermines the work of the Spirit. Quenches the work of the Spirit. But tender affection, gentleness, kindness. And an expectation that we are doing something that's spiritual. This is a spiritual thing we're about. The kingdom is far greater, but may heaven come to earth and we experience it and walk in it. As I said before, after the gathering, I'll be over here and love to pray with you. Sit down and have a conversation. Is any among you sick? Call upon the elders of the church. Tonight, we're going to by the Holy Spirit's leading, confirm more elders, more spiritual leaders. Because in a pandemic, you don't need less doctors. You need more doctors. You don't need less nurses. You need more nurses. 
people that are willing to set aside themselves to engage in the wonder-working love of the gospel, the better news that King Jesus has come. Artists, would you come up? As they're coming up, I want to read a story to you. If you want to dive in deeper, another book that I would recommend, and I've recommended before, this is called Healing by Francis McNutt, M-A-C-N-U-T-T. Great text on physical healing in Scripture. Just to understand what the Bible already says. And at the end, he tells a story. He went to a conference to teach uh, spiritual leaders and, and monks at a retreat center, and it was up in South Dakota, and some Lakotas, um, Sioux, had been brought in just to share their story. And three kind of walked into the conference center, and each of them shared stories of God's healing and restoration. And it blew the minds away of, of the spiritual leaders, the priests, the monks that had gathered at that center. And I want to read to you one of the closing stories by uh, one of the Dakotas who was there to share. His name is Mr. Simon Keeble. It was transcribed word for word from the tape, so it's by the grammar. He had this to say, his testimony. You read Acts 1, 1 through 9. Jesus goes out 40 days. Nobody knows what he does, how many prayers he uses, how many faiths and loves he got. You read that, you will see. But you in your own heart, You really believe in him. He will show you right off. God can heal you. But it is the person, you, who will heal. You have to forgive the sick man yourself and to give him time. You ask him, do you have faith? Do you love God? And he answers, yeah, yeah, sure. You question him. You tell him he must leave all his sins at the bottom. You ask him again, do you believe him? And he says, yes. Then you go touch him and you heal him right now. Powerful how Jesus acts. I found that out. It comes through here. I can feel it, just like you get a hold of electricity. It's all in your body, makes you sweat, then gets you warm and touch you, and you can heal. We heal quite a few people in our town. They sometimes backslide. That's bad. Jesus don't like that. Jesus forgives. He likes the sinner. He don't want nobody die. He wants to be good to everybody. Now, who likes Jesus? Raise your hand. Here he said the priest didn't know what to expect, so some of them kind of raised their hands. I'll I'll try again. Who likes Jesus? Raise your hand. How many of you ever heal anybody? Only a couple hands went up, he said. How come? How come you know Jesus and you know heal nobody? How come? He said. How come you know Jesus? And you know he'll nobody. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. 
If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.